Jeff, so you listened to the latest episode of Pack Your Knives, yeah? I haven't heard the Pack Your Knives yet. I, I, we just watched the new episode last night, so I'm still waiting. I, I've got a earmarks. I've got a tab. I've got to wait for the wife to get in the car, too, because that's the big thing, because we like to listen to it together. I mean, Jeff Stotts, who's the injury guru at InStreetClothes.com, and you can find him on Twitter, He's incredible on this NBA player health stuff, but I mean, the real reason why we have him on the show today is to promote Pack Your Knives. Oh, I thought the real reason was so we could talk about Star Wars. <laughs> I'm just a big Star Wars guy. <laughs> For people who aren't able to see, Jeff Stotts is sitting in front of what looks to be a Empire Strikes Back poster with some, maybe some John Hancocks on there? Yeah, so uh, it's a poster that I got the way back when. I think it was around the 20th anniversary of when everything was coming out. So that kind of dates it a little bit, but uh, loved the poster and was like, I've got to get some signatures on this bad boy and was at a convention before conventions were big. Got Kenny Baker, Jeremy Bullock and Peter Mayhew, so Chewy, um, R2 R2. and Boba Fett. And and they've all passed away since, but over the years I've, anytime someone's been in town, I've, I've added to it or gone to a convention. I've added to it. I've got Billy D on there. I've got Anthony Daniels. The goal had been to try to get everybody on the poster to sign it. But with Carrie passing, I wasn't going to be able to get her. I'll, I'll probably never get Harrison to sign anything. So, But I've, I've added a bunch of cool names to it. And so it's, it's a cool piece. You have James Earl Jones on it? I don't have James Earl Jones. I don't have any of Vader. I've got, uh, well, I was shooting for most of the bounty hunters. So I've got the, the actors and actresses that have played Zuckus, Boss. Wow. I kind of I always made sure I had them write their names, like what character they played. So I got the prop master that built IG-88. Oh, nice. Um, Bill Hargreaves and, and uh, John Morton, who played Dax. So I mean, I've got all, uh, anybody that's on the poster or was in the movie, I try to just add it in the white <laughs> or, or where they are. So it's a cool piece. I'm just nodding along. I'm just nodding along, like pretending I know any of this is going on. It's just deep, man. This is deep stuff. We got the prop design. IG-88 didn't even move. <laughs> he just stood there. It was... It's funny. The funniest thing about Star Wars is you've got characters that are literally on the screen for a fraction of a second. And they all, for one way or another, find a way to have a massive following and interest. And credit to the people over at Lucasfilm. They all have backstories. Tom, to give you an example, it's literally a scene where Darth Vader's walking around and he's talking to the bounty hunters, telling them this is what we need and they got to be alive, no disintegrations or whatever. And a couple of those characters only appear in the original three movies, only appear in that scene. One of them is a, a droid named IG-88, which if you watch The Mandalorian... IG-11 is very similar. It's the same kind of okay. kind of thing. He's three years older than the IG-8, right? I don't know how you do math there, Tom. 11 and 88. Did I pull a Stugatz here? Yeah, like 11 and 88. I don't know how the difference is three. I'm Tom Haverstro, and you're watching The Big Number. In my head, it was just eight. <laughs> so that's my, that's my alibi. Well, anyway. <laughs> the point is, in that original movie, it's literally, it's like a coat rack. It doesn't move. It's, it's like it's just there for a fraction of a second. It's not even animatronic. It's not. Any, there's no movement. It is literally like you said, a co-wreck. It is. It is a prop that they made to look like a robot. And it, you know, thank, thankfully, the, the model has become a bigger deal in the Mandalorian. So you were seeing it in action and whatnot. But all those bounty hunters end up having backstories and followings, and it, it's it's one of my favorites. It's why I love the movie so much. I'm, I was always a Boba Fett guy. That was the thing I, I always wondered about. Why was Boba Fett so... Our people love Boba Fett so much. The guy like had like three lines in the whole movie. Like now, obviously, with all the mythology and the lore layered on, but at the time, I just didn't understand the infatuation with a guy who had maybe less than 10 minutes of screen time and then he dies in, in very early in the third movie. The fact that he didn't talk much, he looks looked so cool uh, was a big part of it. And then I'm sure the toy factor that he was such a limited action figure coming out early on and there were so, so many problems with him. Why do people love Alex Caruso? <laughs> you know? That's a good point. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstrow. That's my guy over there, Amin El Hassan from the Lebetard Show, also SiriusXM XM, NBA Radio. And there's, wow, oh man, what's the what's the movie podcast you do? I keep forgetting. It's called Cinephobe, Tom. It's the podcast where we watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain whether they are accurately poorly rated or perhaps, just perhaps, didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, wherever you get podcasts. 
Yeah, that, that's the one. I haven't heard that before, so I was just making sure. Our guest today is a friend of mine. His name is Jeff Stotts. He is the proprietor uh, and operator of InStreetClothes.com. He's also a big fan of Top Chef, and therefore I'm a big fan of him. He's the injury analyst for Smart, which is capital S-M-A-R-T, which stands for what, Jeff Stotts? Oh, sports Medicine Analytics Research Team. That's right. You're also a contributor to Rotowire. And you're an amazing follow on Twitter at In Street Clothes. Welcome to the show, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. You know, like I said, I get to play to both crowds. I got the Star Wars with the mean, and I got a Top Chef with you, Tom. So, and then of course that commentator of the NBA. So, lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Yes. Are you okay? Are you healthy at this point? Because it's been a long season, and there's been a lot of uh, attrition in this NBA season. Just making sure, Jeff. Like you're 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 good. Are you on the injury reports? I'm good. Vaccinated. Well hydrated, I'm I'm good. So we're able to. We made it through the slog of the season. We're still not quite done with with the postseason. Still not wrapped up, but it, it's been a grind for me, who you know is not doing a fraction of what these players are. So, um, but I, I'm making it. I, I appreciate the concern. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if you if you felt like this season is more injury riddled than most postseasons, or do you feel like um, this is kind of just the game we play every year at this stage, where we're like, man. Seems like there's a lot of injuries, more injuries than ever. I mean, do you feel the same way? Is that it, it? Maybe it's confirmation bias that we're just. It feels like there are more injuries. I've had this conversation with Jeff in the past, and I think what we arrived at, obviously not this season, but in prior seasons where everyone says, "Oh, the injuries are worse than they've ever been." It's whenever there are high-profile injuries, right? Like if you just count the number of people who are hurt and the type of injuries and how much time they're out, on average it hovers around the same number year year in, year out. But the years where it's like big names get hurt, we pay attention more and we feel like, oh my God, everyone's getting hurt when really all it means is everyone that we care about is getting hurt. I'm asked that question every year. <laughs> Man, injuries are way up this year, aren't they? And it, every season since I've been doing this, that has been the number one question people have asked me. And every year I have to say, it just seems like that. Let's take a look at the numbers at the end of the season and, and, you know, obviously this year has been been a unique. Is it obvious? Like, is it, I mean, I want to, I want to say that this year is an anomaly and the reporting from Baxter Holmes and Kevin Pelton at ESPN last week suggested that um, there have been 5.1 player game players out per game this and in the regular season, which is the highest since 2009, 2010, according to ESPN's Kevin Pelton, the next highest season in terms of number of average number of players sidelined due to injury per game was 4.8. So in this season, it's 5.1, meaning there's five players out per game on average. And that seems like a big number. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. Also, they threw in this stat, which was this season's All-Stars have missed on average uh, 19% of their games, which is about one in five for All-Stars. It's the highest in NBA history per Elias Sports Bureau. That equates to about 14 games, give or take, per All-Star. And that's not what the fans want. That's who the fans are paying to see is the LeBron James, the Anthony Davises, the Damian Lillers, the Stephen Currys. And if they're out one out of every five games, that's not good for business. Um, so not only are we hitting just the average to total population, it seems like we're hitting a high watermark. But also when you look and zoom at the All-Stars, this seems like a season that has been hit by injuries more than usual. The numbers suggest the injuries are up. And what we're trying to do is compare – what makes it difficult is compare a 72-game season to an 82-game season. So do we prorate that? Do we just kind of make try to try to figure it out? Well, the, what, what I do is look at the number of games lost per games played, kind of like what you talked about. And this this year does seem elevated compared to seasons in the past. Um, we didn't reach our highest total. The highest total season for games lost was 2017-2018. Um, and that was the year that started out ridiculously poor. And you had Gordon Hayward break his leg on opening night. And you also had Jeremy Lin rupture his patella tendon on opening night. People kind of forget about that. So you had two guys – Missed 81 games right out of the right out of the shoot. You had two devastating injuries on opening night. That was the same season that Kawhi had all his quadricep issues his final year in, in San Antonio. That was the same year Cousins tore his Achilles. Porzingis tore his ACL that year. That's right. Yep. Right around the All Star break. Yep. Isaiah Thomas was coming back from his hip surgery or his first first hip surgery. 
Uh, I think that was also, you had carryover from Zach Levine's ACL that year. So you had tons of reasons to understand why those numbers were so elevated. Uh, this year, the numbers didn't reach those same totals because we had a shorter season. And I would have been, you know, if you try to compare it, it does look like it would have been around the same. The thing, the trick for me is that's not incorporated in games lost to the health and safety protocol. And you throw those in and we're talking about a significantly higher total. Now, again, COVID is a, is a unique situation, uh, but uh, that that is just those guys with the health and safety protocol. So that's not even a positive COVID case. Those guys are included in the injury total because we know they they missed for an injury or an illness. The the health and safety protocols are not. So you factor those in, and you factor in the rest games that that we have that have been on the upward trend anyway. And you're talking about yes, a sizable number of games lost this season, whether to rest, COVID protocols, or injury. Jeff, historically in your database, which is one of the most robust tabulation of injury causes missed games everything you can think of with nba injuries jeff has it and he knows it and he can he can detail it down to the studs but i, I was wondering have, have you categorized illnesses in the past or was this kind of a new category that you've had to include i've always had illnesses um it's something that we we always keep track on uh there was the flu watch a couple years back with me, me and Tom that we were yep. really tracking to see this, this flu bug kind of went through the league and bounced from team to team. And we kind of saw it follow a couple of teams being played. And so well, I've always kind of watched illnesses. It's just interesting to find and, and interesting to follow. This season, obviously, and last last season in the bubble, uh, tracking that was was really interesting because you almost had this like separate category of – well, we know he's in health and safety protocols, but we don't know if he's actually sick, right? And so that creates even more of a headache for you because for what for all the reasons why the NBA wanted to keep that under wraps or the players union wanted to keep that under wraps, it just creates a lot of gray area for for people like you who are trying to scientifically track and systematically empirically track, you know, what this disease is doing to athletes because it's not just to like you're Jeff, how many how many teams have asked whether officially or unofficially to consult your data? Like over the years, how many of the 30 NBA teams? I would say at least half, if if not more. And it just depends on the on the incident. So for sure. And they're not just saying like looking back, can you tell me what this is just because I want to learn more about that injury? It's all looking forward. It's like, what? how can you help me win games in the future? Like, are there certain uh, prior injuries that have a higher in- reincidence rate or a re-injury rate? And so what you're doing is not just tracking this stuff. It's you're trying to make some sort of prognostication or any sort of projection on these, on these injuries going forward. And so when you're doing um, – uh, you know, a COVID analysis when you're just only able to see who's in a health and safety protocol and then afterwards waiting for them to say, like, on the record, a player being, like, divulging that he – to to the media, like, yeah, I tested positive and I felt sick initially, but I'm okay and I, I was out for two weeks and it was pretty hard at the beginning. Like, you're, you're waiting for those media reports because usually you just find out in the in the daily injury report from the NBA – Hey, this person has flu-like symptoms, or has the flu, or has the the butt, whatever it is, the stomach bug, and now you're having to do some forensic work to like Sherlock Holmes and figure out if he actually had COVID or not. Yeah, it's it's been interesting because a lot of the players that have had COVID have been pretty honest about it. They, I tested positive, I had it. This is how I felt. Particularly the ones that were symptomatic. So you had guys like Tatum that came out and said, "Man, it wrecked me." You know, uh, others you're trying to deduce you know, just kind of read the tea leaves and see, see what, what was said. Uh, but it, it, it's tough because I, I, my primary goal when I started this was to, to understand injuries better. That was, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to use numbers and analytics and we have used the data in my database to publish scientific studies. I've done stuff, stuff with concussions. We've done stuff in return to play from Achilles from fifth metatarsal injuries um, and look at how it shapes a player's return to play. We, we, I'm a basketball fan at heart. That's what I want is I want the best players out there playing at the top of their game. It pains me when guys are not playing. I, I, I would hate uh, – the joke is, you know, let's turn injuries off. I would absolutely support turning injuries off because because I'm a, I'm a big basketball fan. You know, I want to see everybody healthy. I, I hate that Harden and Irving aren't playing because I want to see Milwaukee at Brooklyn full strength, you know. Uh, 
so we try to parse the data and see what 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 tips and what tricks and what what trends do we see that can help players stay healthy what how can we better equip the players the medical staffs the front offices to make those decisions so that they can move forward and have everybody as healthy as possible and maximizing player health how much do you know about how the teams use your data you know, with teams that I've talked with, I know there's some teams that use it and they have their own database. And so they compare or they, they you know, certain things that the, the problem, is, as you guys know, is, is, is there's only so, so many hours in the day. And so you're asking an athletic trainer or whoever from medical staff to keep track of every, not just their team, but every other team in the league. And, you know, and so what I try to do is, is alleviate that for them, you know, like, Hey, you don't have to worry about all the other teams. You can worry about your team. And then I can be the one that's, that's collecting the data and, and analyzing the data for, for you guys. So you don't have to worry about those man hours can be focused on keeping your players healthy. You know, there's, we saw this a lot when we, we earlier this year, there were some stories coming out of how worn down all the medical staffs were and, and just stretched thin because they were not only having to deal with, the day, the normal day to day stuff, but also the COVID protocols, the testing, ensuring players were more meeting all those requirements as well. A lot of them were doing it for more than just the players. You know, you're doing stuff for front office people, you know, families of the players, those kinds of things. So, what what what, I, what we try to do is again alleviate that because what we don't want to do is hit what my my, my colleague Will Carroll uh, coined the death spiral uh, factor, and that's he, we saw it more so in baseball, but when an injury occurs and it diverts away from preventative care because now you're doing rehab care and treating the symptoms. It's very likely another injury is going to occur. And so now you're dealing with two injuries and then you're dealing with three and suddenly all that preventative care that you take is gone and you're focused purely on rehab and injuries and your chances and your risk and your inherent risk of injury goes up. So you've got to take some of that off the table for those guys so they can focus on preventative care you know, maintenance of, of the player on a day-to-day basis and then rehab treatment once once an injury does occur. You just described Derek Rose's like career between 2011 and 2018. <laughs> Derek Rose, well, I, I feel like one of the things that Derek Rose is always a good lesson is that just because you, you hurt one injury or tear an ACL in one leg, I think people started to realize that compensatory injuries are very much a thing, is that if you are have some atrophy because you're not using or rehabbing that leg or the strength in that leg, you might be using your other leg, overusing your other leg, and therefore being more prone or risk to injury because of the fact that it's just being overloaded to compensate for that injury in the other leg. Jeff, I want to ask you, the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals in the bubble last year had a really quick turnaround in the offseason, only 71 days between the final day of the finals and then the start of their training camp, which according to the ESPN story is the shortest offseason in the four major sports history. So Major League Baseball, NHL, NFL, NBA, the shortest offseason in any of the four major sports. And then we saw some injuries to the Lakers and to the Miami Heat this year. But is that confirmation bias, or is that is there is there a trend? Do you think with the sh- the duration of the off season and the the rate of injury for those teams that had a short or a particularly long off season? It makes sense, you know. I, I, we don't want to just say that's exactly what it was. You know, there's always some variables to play with when it comes to to player health and and health and wellness. Uh, the fact that all four of those final four teams from last year are no longer in the playoffs um, and that they had some injuries is concerning. Uh, the thing that I am hoping to, to do a more in-depth study, but it's, it's hard to do because of the data, data set being so small, is what happened in that shutdown period? Because that, for me, is the, my, my bigger concern because we went from playing games to nothing. And, and what I mean nothing is some players could not even get into their facilities. You had players that didn't have access to a gym. They didn't know when they were coming back. And so their off-season wasn't really an off-season. It was – I mean, we've all, all we've all felt it being isolated into our houses, not moving as much as we were. You know, we try to work out, but it's not the same. You're not going through that normal routine. And then we came back and played basketball, and then we had a shortened off season. So it's kind of this accumulative effect of all that, and, and that's where I find interesting. Which is why I think it's extremely important for us to get back on that normal normal schedule, back on that routine where we have structure in the schedule. We have structure for the players in their off season. They can build and incorporate and work with their, you know, with their teams, with their individual personal trainers, whatever it is, so that we can hopefully get back to structure. You guys know these, these athletes are creatures of habit. They have their 
their routine down to a T, especially a guy like LeBron, right? Like who, who knows his body better probably than any athlete we've ever seen and, and hits those beats in the off season so that he can be ready to go. And he wasn't able to do that. Nobody was able to do that this year. So uh, I'm excited that we're inching our way back to hopefully a normal schedule. And I'm interested to see if there are any adjustments because next year is really, really going to be fascinating as well. You know, it's funny, Tom, it's not just the final four teams. Think about the teams that they beat, right? The Lakers beat the Rockets. Harden dealing with a hamstring injury right now. Eric Gordon was hurt all year this year. Yep. The Heat beat the Bucks. Dante DiVincenzo out for the year. Celtics beat the Raptors. Think about all the injuries they had uh, throughout this year. And also, uh, you know, Ibaka now out. Nuggets beat the Clippers. All right, maybe that one's up. But it's, it's, it, it, I guess my point is, it extends past those final four, though. It's like everyone who played last year is kind of feeling a an after effect, a delayed ripple effect this season. Well, so like when you look at Houston, a lot of injuries on the Houston Rockets this season, right, uh, Jeff? But not a lot of the same players from Houston last year going into the bubble or on the roster for the Rockets this year. So like I think the most injured teams this year, Jeff, what were the Rockets, Raptors maybe? Were they in there too? Orlando, Houston. Uh, Atlanta, Cleveland was up there, Golden State. Actually, a bunch of those most injured teams weren't in the bubble last year. You kind of go by team by team. Let's look at it. You know, Golden State lost a ton of games, but they lost lots of a ton of games because Clay tore his ACL in the offseason and, and missed time. Or is it his Achilles, excuse me, coming off of the ACL. Um, you look at some of these other ones. Uh, Orlando had Isaac tear, the, tear his ACL in the bubble, um, and then Foltz tear his ACL early on. Um, Houston, John Wall was a guy that missed a substantial amount of time. And Atlanta had a bunch of guys in and out. You know, Chris Dunn missed one of their big signings, missed a majority of the regular season. Oh, Dunn missed some time. Gallinari missed some time. They had a lot of kind of injuries that accumulated over time. So you had, you know, finding their rotation. Collins, I believe, missed a little bit of time. Trey Young missed a little bit of time. So all those things eventually add up. But, yeah, the, the number totals for those teams were unfortunate and, and not necessarily linked directly to, you know, being in a Final Four. Jeff, is there a way that the data represents almost like a, a normalization? For instance, Golden State is skewed because one guy missed a lot of games versus Atlanta, where you say it's kind of sprinkled across the, the roster. I guess standard deviations or, or, or something like well, that. Well, no, I think what you're looking for is like the median for each team, the median uh, games missed. Because if you're looking at the average games missed per team, you're going to be skewed by Clay Thompson. But if you just look at the median number of games missed, you, you're, you're, you're probably a little bit more accurate. I don't know. That, that's just me, um, armchair statistician in my head. That's a good point. I think you, you can't deny one big injury completely skews the numbers um, in, in terms of leaning it one way or the other. Uh, you, you have a guy that misses a full year. It's, it's going to elevate your totals. That's instantly going to take you out of the running for finishing in the top 10. Um, so yeah, you got to look at things like the median and and looking at the median right now, it looks comparable to years past, but again, we're talking about an abbreviated season compared to, you know, full 82 games. I want to just shift gears here real quick about the, the injuries that we're seeing in the playoffs right now. So Joel Embiid is playing on a torn meniscus in his knee. He's about 300 pounds. He's the, one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA right now and falls a ton. Mean and I were watching the game last night and we were wondering in our heads, like Jeff, you have a new project is tracking the number of falls per game for these guys. And whether that actually correlates to injury or whether that is a, a good thing. I think there's a story a couple of years ago where Joel Embiid had to reteach himself how to fall safely because he just, he was falling a lot and it, it might've been leading to a lot of just bruising and wear and tear. Um, but I, I get so nervous watching Embiid. Because he's so big and he's playing on a torn meniscus, but I'm reminded that this isn't totally new, um, totally super risky and dangerous, right? Like he's not the first player to play in that condition. No, we've, we've had players in the past play through a meniscus tear. Patrick Beverly has done it. Meta World Peace did it. The big one that freaks Sixers fans out when I say is Andrew Bynum did it for for one of the title runs for <laughs> the, the Lakers. So they instantly Sorry, freak fans. out. But, but yeah. that's pr- actually a pretty good comp because it was – a similar injury, similar body type. You know, Embiid's a lot bigger than P-Bev or, or a metal world piece. So um, it's possible most of the time, even when these guys play through it, they end up getting surgery in the offseason. So 
uh, I think, I think I had 15 examples of guys that didn't play, um, or didn't have surgery immediately, but 11 of them eventually did have surgery in the off season or late at a later date. So 11 of the 15 in Embiid's case, eventually, I would be surprised if he doesn't undergo surgery in the off season. I, I just, because that's the easiest way to address the problem. You know, we we talk about meniscus injuries like real estate. It's all about location, location, location. And if it is it is a tear that's on the peripheral that is not irritating him functionally, you address the symptoms, you you treat those, and then um, you do what you can to continue to play. And we know it's in his lateral meniscus, so it's it's a little bit different than the inside aspect of the knee. There's not as much weight through that area sometimes, so it's not connected to the MCL like the, the medial meniscus is. So it's he can play as long as he can control the symptoms and he's not the, the tear isn't getting worse or the, or the symptoms aren't getting worse. Which is why I was a little bit concerning to see him go to the back in that first half of last night. Is oh are they what are they going to be doing back there? Is it irritated? Is you know some of the new symptoms and the swelling those kinds of things? It being said, it really wasn't. He just didn't have his legs on or anything. But you look at that second half, you know, zero for twelve, and that's that's rough. You know, he, he said he didn't have his legs underneath them. So hopefully it's with some, some maintenance and some, some more treatment, they can get him back. But um, I, I, I would be surprised if he didn't undergo surgery eventually. Jeff, of those 15 uh, guys that, that have been in this case, what happened to them the, the following season? From what I could tell, most of the guys went on to to follow normal meniscal issues. You know, again, with meniscal tears, uh, it depends on if you have a true repair or, or a meniscectomy with it's a removal. And again, that depends on the location of the tear. Uh, the guys that have the repairs tend to have a better long-term outlook, less soreness, but those it comes with a hefty recovery. So sometimes that trickles over into the end of the, the start of the next year. The ones that have the meniscectomy, you take that piece out, it's no longer an issue. You usually feel pretty good, but you're talking about taking a piece of cartilage out of the knee, you know. Um, and so they tend to have some, some soreness, effusion. It, it, it's possible it, it, your chances of an additional surgery do go up a little bit. So. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just part of the nature of the injury. Uh, but like, uh, like last year, we saw it last year in the postseason with Porzingis, he tore his meniscus and tried to play. Um, and they tried to do, you know, PRP, tried to do some different things. And then ultimately he had to undergo surgery. So, um, uh, like I said, I, I'm just spitballing reading the tea leaves here a little bit, but, but I, I'd be surprised if MB doesn't undergo surgery once they're out. If you could break down Kyrie Irving's ankle injury versus James Harden's hamstring injury, which one should Nets fans be more concerned about from your perspective? Well, it would really de- depend on the degree of Kyrie's ankle sprain. You know, if it's a, it doesn't look like a high ankle sprain when he, when he inverts that foot, that's your kind of classic lateral ankle sprain. So the one we kind of all associate with the ankle sprain. Um, it did turn a pretty good degree. So um, it was pretty violently, violently twerk there. Uh, Brooklyn's pretty good about keeping specifics under under house, <laughs> which is tough for you, right? You're you're looking for details. It's not their it's not their obligation to be super specific on things, but there are teams that do it better than others or more transparent than others. <laughs> Absolutely, but but so the fact that he's already missed some time or he's going to miss some time, it's my guess is it's a one to two grade 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 one or grade two sprain. Um, if it is a grade two spring, we're talking about a, a longer timeline, a little bit trickier to manage. So uh, Harden, I'm more concerned about because this isn't the first time it's happened this season. He's he's aggravated this hamstring strain multiple times. I've, I've run the data for guards. I've run the data for bigs. One of the biggest precursors for predictive for an injury, for a future injury is previous injury. And then if if you are if you do aggravate it, the time lost doesn't go up every single time you, you each sub with each subsequent strain. So the time lost does go up in terms of, of average time lost. So we're looking at he strained it originally, suffered a setback during rehab where he aggravated it, and now he's he's got it irritated it again, and he's missed time each time. I think the aggregate he missed twenty games that first first time around, and now he's missed you know, the three games in this series, um, most of the series, cause it happened so early on in, in that game one. So, um, he's the one I'm watching, even though they've upgraded into doubtful. Um, I suspect that, um, it's, it's, it's not hundred percent yet, but you know, Brooklyn has a great medical staff. They, they really do. They also have, as Amin knows, a coach that knows the ins and outs of biomechanics and knows what it means to, to play through things and with things. Um, I really, that's one of the reasons I love the Nash hiring there because, 
with Durant, with guys like Kyrie, he's going to be able to have that conversation and talk with them about about what it means to play with and with with injuries. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how it progresses because you know their season could that depends on the health of those two guys, and it, it, they need to get at least one of them back. And it'll be interesting to see who comes back first. Jeff, one of the stories that came out uh, towards the end of the week last week was that if the Nets make it to the finals. Spencer Dinwiddie might be back in in play. And that would be roughly, I think, six months after him tearing his ACL. What's the most accelerated recovery from a torn ACL you've seen? And how did that guy fare? In football, it was Peterson. Peterson's the guy that that turned and defied all ACL timelines. And he excelled and had an MVP season. Adrian Peterson, yeah. What was that recovery time for him? I think six to eight months. It was somewhere in that range. He tore it towards the end of the, the that season and was back for week one of the next season. That's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and Welker, Wes Welker, has a surprisingly quick recovery. But those guys are the exceptions, not the rules. You know, basketball wise, it's hard to think of a quick one because we kind of had the standard year out for a year. You'd be surprised, basically, if Spencer Dinwiddie came back for the finals, you'd be stunned. I would because even though he had a partial tear. He still, by all accounts, had a repair. So he had surgery to fix the fix the ligament. So I, I would be surprised. Now, then when he does have some history with this injury, he previously tore his ACL in college. Um, so he's he's familiar with the rehab. He might be able to do, you know, understand things and move and progress maybe a little bit quicker than most. But to, to bounce back maybe two months, three to four months ahead of the normal timeline would be a bit surprising. And at that point. What are you really going to get out of Dinwiddie? I mean, how how smooth, how fluid is he going to do? How's he? You know, what's his motion look like? It does the does the reward outweigh, outweigh the risk? And over on the other side, with James Harden's hamstring injury, you're dealing the same thing with Mike Conley too. Is the recurrence of this hamstring injury that has been nagging at him not just for this season? Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it the same leg or is it a different leg that was he was dealing with last year too? I believe it's the same one, uh, but it's it's the same fact that we talked about hard and apply to Conley. Uh, you know, all the data I told you guys, I ran for guards in, in, in their height, their height range. So we're talking about guys with similar bots, you know, similar comps. So, um, yeah, same, same, same goes for Conley as, as for Harden. When you look at the NBA finals, when I'm projecting who's going to win the title, I look at the Suns, which is kind of crazy, like how, how the roller coaster of this season, how the Suns uh, looked like Chris Paul was with his shoulder injury against the Lakers. It was Dunzo, it's doomsday for the Suns. And then, of course, like it, he turns around, he's he's back to peak point god Chris Paul. And it seems like they are the healthiest team left standing right now. And the rest, I, I, I tweeted this yesterday and did it on the show. Every other remaining team has a starter that is out due to injury, whether it's Danny Green, DeAndre Hunter, um, uh, go on down the line, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on so forth. Oh, the list goes on. <laughs> the list goes on. Uh, Mike Conley, you have um, J- James Harden and Kyrie Irving. Go on down the line and so, so on and so forth. Every team seems to have a key member of their rotation or starting player uh, injured. So the Suns seem to be the exception here, which is interesting because Chris Paul seems to have the most infamous injury history in the postseason, whether it's to him or to someone on his team like Blake Griffin that has kind of ruined their postseason chances. But you said it before. The best predictor for future injury uh, is prior injury. And so when you look at the Phoenix Suns and their ability to just be really good, obviously, is they're an amazing team. But from a health standpoint, they're they're in pretty good shape, yeah? I think you're under, underselling Abdul Nadir and his, his knee <laughs> surgery that's out for the Suns. <laughs> True. Apologies on that. I think the fact that he – that they swept is huge for them because it's going to let any of those guys that are nursing anything – rest and recover especially with with the clippers pushing utah you know tie evening that series up last night so uh you know we know it's going to go at least six games and the the suns get probably looks like a close to a week to rest and recover and recuperate especially paul but i mean he looked fantastic in that closeout game uh and it doesn't look like the shoulders bugging him nearly as much and and, and so anytime they can they can utilized to to rest recuperate is going to be huge and and i think like you said they've got to be considered the favorite due to attrition alone now that can change obviously as as things progress but 
the fact that that they're healthy is is a good <laughs> a good sign for them moving forward. I mean, when I tweet out that that story of uh, all the asterisk championships mm. over the years, one of my favorites. Someone hit me up and mentioned the Amari Stoudemire season when he got uh, surgery. Microfracture. What was the most injury frustrating season for you with the Suns? Oh, let me see. It would have been 2008 because we just started. We had fired Terry Porter. We started to get a little bit of momentum. And then Amari got poked in the eye. And he was out for the season for the second detached cornea of that year. It's crazy. It happened to him in training camp, and he and he wore goggles. And then I think can't remember what was the circumstance, whether the finger went under his goggles, or if he just didn't have his goggles on that play. But he got poked again in the same eye, which you know many players go their entire careers not getting poked at all. This guy got poked twice in the same eye within the span of four months or something. Um, and we ended up missing the playoffs by like a hair. I think we had. If you look at the record books, we might have the third best record in the NBA history for a team to not make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a shame because we really thought we had something going there headed into the 2009 playoffs. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, again, that, that year you're talking about 06, Amari was out, but that allowed Boris Diaw to become who he became and allowed the team to play in a different way. And I think, uh, you know, in that case, the injuries that hurt more was that Kurt Thomas and Raja Bell got hurt in the conference finals. That actually was more more of a kick in the nuts than Amari getting hurt, you know, at the beginning of the year. Um, so I think those would be the two years that I pointed from the injury perspective. Last question for you. Uh, wait, what? who's on this? Uh, <laughs> All right. I didn't think he had my the Zoom invite on this call, but apparently you can't stop history, Tom. You try to erase history, you try to to corner it out, but history will make its presence known. Yeah, I was listening, and I got a lot to say. Jeff Stotts here is an injury expert. He's been categorically, systematically tracking injuries for how long, Jeff? What's the date today? Yeah, uh, 2013, I believe, was my first. So 2011 is actually when I started. Mm-hmm. A decade. You've been doing this for a decade. And we've been talking about Kyrie's injury, his his ankle turn. And I I didn't know he had the Zoom invite, but uh, I, apparently Abstract Shine here is here to talk about Don Shampoo. Um, I, I guess, I'm assuming that you feel like today's NBA players are soft. Like even though Kyrie Irving's ankle went 90 degrees or even mm-hmm. more than that you, you feel like that inflection is is the stuff of, of babies well I don't I guess it's soft in a way so people no offense Jeff I just met you but I you probably just don't understand a lot of stuff about how we used to do things and so it leads to this sissification of the NBA like I could tell you one time uh Don Shampoo he actually was on the ground right um and a player this was one of his only injuries he stepped on all his fingers, right? He broke all his fingers. And so he was going to be out for the game, but he didn't want to miss the game. So he told the doctors, just amputate my fingers, you know? And they amputated him. And then they took off all his toes, right? And they put it where his fingers were, you know? And so then he like easily just went in the game and just, well, then he realized he did realize he needed toes. So then we went into the the crowd and we found a fan who was down and we got their fingers and we put them on his toes. Did they ask permission? Well, you didn't really have to ask permission back then. And the fans were more than willing because it was like, there was real fan bases. You really, it wasn't just, Oh, whatever team my favorite player goes to, I'm going to root for that. It was like, you lived and died for your hometown. You know, Jeff, did you ever have a finger transplant or toe transplant in your database? Not in this particular database. No, uh, I can't say that I have. Closest might be Gerald Green, um, who played with, with just nine fingers. So, oh, well, nine and a half, right? Yeah, nine and a half. Yeah, basically. So, the closest I've got. You could have got someone else's finger and just put it on, and then he would have been a little better. Or toe. Or toe, or yeah. Toe. I'm surprised Don Shampoo didn't just try to give it a go without the fingers, just with a nub of a hand. He just didn't want to look weird for the cameras, you know? He didn't want to be self-conscious. 
But I mean, it, in my opinion, I would never say it to him. He looked very odd with like little uh, toes as his thumbs and all that, but he had a hell of a game. Wait, there were, there were cameras for this game. I, I, I thought the NBA has been erased. It's been erased. Oh, well, yeah, they erased it. I can't say too much. Um, I can't say too much about that. Cause Adam Silver, FBI, um, Let's just move on. Abstract Sean, I got I got a question for you. So the other day, game four of the Nuggets Sun series, Nikola Jokic got ejected for a flagrant two when he swiped wildly for the ball at uh, Cameron Payne. He clipped Cameron Payne on the face. Collected by Bridges. Foul on Jokic. Down goes Payne and across the face. And here we go. Which, Jeff, you, you're probably watching that, Jeff, and you're like, man, that's an injury weight. Like, that was pretty forceful, right, Jeff? Well, looking at the way Cameron Payne reacted, definitely I thought it was going to be more than, it, more than it ended up being, for sure. By the way, you only get injured if you choose to feel injured. Not to disagree with you, Jeff, but... It's a choice. It's all a mindset thing. Injury's a choice. It is. Wow. Well, anyway, so, you know, the next day, the, the talk across all of basketball was... Can you eject a guy in that scenario in an elimination game, the MVP of the league? Was he wrongfully ejected? And I was wondering, like, if there was any examples from Don Shampoo's days where he got unfairly kicked out or maybe a ref kind of uh, took it too far with a flagrant foul call. Well, there's a similar situation. I mean, how sad is it that we're even talking about this? You know, like, that's how soft the NBA has gotten. But. I remember one time Don Shampoo was playing defense, right? And and it was actually really similar to the Jokic play. When I saw the Jokic play, I thought about this. Don Shampoo went up to the guy, and uh, the guy had the ball, and he put, like, a metal collar around his neck, and he had, like, a metal chain, and then he got a stake, and he, like, hammered the stake in the half court, right? And then he told everyone, clear out, clear out, right? He goes into the locker room, and then he comes out with this big lion on a leash, right? And the lion is like, chewing on people from the audience and he just goes to center court and he just goes to town on the guy mauling him. And um, yeah, back in like, that was a foul, but it wasn't a flagrant foul. A lion mauling the crowd and mauling the player. It's basketball, man. It's basketball. Like it gets competitive and like, that's what's been lost. It's like, they've taken out the competitiveness. Everything's a whistle. It's like, yeah, that was a foul, you know, but they weren't talking about it on like the TV the next day, it's like, all right, yeah, good game. After the incident, Nikola Jokic, I thought was really classy of him. He walked up to campaign and checked on him to make sure he was okay. Um, did Don Shampoo check in after the Lion mauled that opposing player? Did he check in and say, you know, I'm sorry? Well, sort of. He went He went to the funeral the next day, right? He, <laughs> never forget. I was there and he, he told the family, he said, hey, man, I don't care. I want to win, you know, and that meant so much to them. (laughs) I don't get it. It's not. Wait, so you you went... He went to the he went to the funeral and said uh-huh. not an apology. He said I don't care. So he he didn't even offer condolences. He just went there and said I don't care. And then the family said I agree. That was that was a smart basketball play. It meant, it meant so much. They were crying. They were like, "Thank you so much for saying that," because it showed that because everyone dies, right? But to know that their son died for a purpose, gave them a lot of closure. Doing something he loved. Yeah. We have Abstract Shine here to go through the annals of uh, NBA history. Annals, I, I don't, I never say that right. Annals. I'm sorry. A- annals. 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 Yeah. It's, it's, because I'm trying to say the other, not say the other thing. Um, annals? Yeah. Yeah, annals. Annals of NBA history. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Je- Jeff was talking about how injury rates appear to be elevated this season and you you talked about one injury with Don Shampoo, but when when you look back at the the um, the history of Don Shampoo, did he do anything like Giannis Giannis Adetokounmpo went underneath Kyrie Irving in that play and, and caused the ankle turn? Was there anything that seemed kind of borderline on purpose that Don Shampoo did besides the 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 the, the lion on the chain there? 
I wouldn't call that on purpose. I think sometimes bringing a lion out to the court, you don't think is on purpose. I think sometimes in the heat of the game, there's room for gray areas. So I wouldn't say that one's on purpose. Um, No, I don't think he ever was malicious. I think he was competitive. Did other people agree with that? Like maybe he didn't think it was malicious, but the media at the time said that was a, that was an unsportsmanlike conduct play. No, never. Not, not back then. It was just basketball. Nowadays, sometimes I'll see social media, right? They think it's horrific, some people, but it's like, that's, and I, I, I don't know if you have done any studies on this, Jeff, but I would say the reason Kyrie got hurt is because he's on social media. What does social media have to do with injury? I've never touched a computer. Wait, no, he asked Jeff a question. We, we, he asked Jeff a question. Jeff, do you, do you, is there any scientific backing that social media causes injuries like, like an ankle sprain? Maybe like TikTok? I haven't paired them yet, but I, I think it'd be an interesting variable to throw in there. You know, what platforms do they use? Are they multi, multi-platform users? Are they purely Instagram? Those kinds of things. So yeah, that would be an interesting variable to, to dive into. Let me throw out real quick. So let me walk through maybe a Kyrie Irving pregame ritual. Before the day, he's probably on social media. He's checking feeds. He's checking stories, right? That's going to lead to distraction. That's going to lead to negativity. Don Shampoo, he used to, he would order five mirrors before every game and he would scream at them. He would scream at himself in the mirror and say, you're not ready. You're not enough. He would pump himself up and he would shatter the mirrors. That's going to lead to better stability in your joints when you're when you're reinforcing that type of belief versus, oh, I'm going to go on TikTok. That story just reminded me of a story that I heard uh, before the draft a couple of years ago. John Morant told us that he, he doesn't listen to kind of social media criticism because his biggest hater is his dad. And his dad routinely would tell him, He's not good enough and, and kind of, oh, you think what you did was big? So what? You know, uh, and I, I just realized that we've never really heard about Don Shampoo's father. We've heard a lot about Don Shampoo's son, Drew Shampoo, but we've never heard of Don Shampoo's dad. What was like, what was Don Shampoo's relationship like with his father? Frank was a strange man, but he was a Frank, good man. Frank, Frank Shampoo. Frank. We used to call him Frankie Five Fingers because he had five fingers on each hand. It was a strange man. Jeff, Jeff, five is pretty standard, yeah? You're the anatomy expert? Average. Not back then, though, right, Jeff? Well, it depends on the area you were looking at. Well, we're also talking the area of the finger toes and the toe fingers. So, we, we you know, that's some, throw some variance in there, too. Yeah, it was a little different. Sorry to be rude, Tom, but it was a little different back then. Stuff like that. That's just his story, Frank. So, Frankie Five Frankie Five Fingers. Yeah. You said he was a, a, a weird man, but he was a nice man. What, what do you mean by well, weird? They didn't have too much of a relationship because Don moved out when he was a day old. He realized he was going to be weak if he, like, lived with his family. So, he's like, nah, I got to be my own man. He moved out as a, as a newborn. Well, you would call him a newborn. Back then, we didn't, like, baby our kids. He was ready. You moved out when you were ready, and he was ready. Can you even sign a, a, a lease agreement on a on an apartment? You probably couldn't, you know? Wow. Okay. Different era. Yeah, different era. I, you know, Don was a special case for sure. I, I didn't move out till I was like six months old, you know? But Don was, Don was special. He really was, even back then. We, we were talking earlier about Joel and Beads playing on a torn meniscus. Um, I'm wondering if there was any cartilage. In, I did that all the time. Yeah. Did, did Don Shapu have any cartilage in his knees? Or Not really. He removed all that stuff so that he wouldn't have to be injured. Have you ever done that, Jeff, with a player? I can't say that I have. We, we, we generally try to work the opposite way. We try to preserve that meniscus, which preserve that cartilage. But, but maybe we've been just going the wrong way. No, no. So what you want to do, like Kyrie, like if you would have taken out the joints and stuff from his ankle, he'd be fine right now. You can't Don's, – Don's motto, one of his mottos was, you, you can't break what you don't have. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. You're saying Don didn't have an ankle joint? Bones? He didn't have bones? He did, but he took it out because he wanted to win. And also injuries are a choice, Tom. Remember. True. <laughs> right. So it seemed okay. unnecessary that he would take it out, but that's just Don. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you for for enlightening us on these injuries in the playoffs. And, um, you know, this season has been marred by injury. And I'm, I'm sorry that 
I feel like abstract just gave you a, a ton more material to work on in your research, which whether it's the removing of all ligaments and joints uh, in the ankles and knees and, and hips, mm-hmm. uh, or whether it's the social media hurting players. So thank you for joining us. We need we need a couple more minutes here with Abstract Shine, but uh, Jeff, you can follow him at In Street Closed on Twitter. You can read him at RotoWire. You can also consult if you're an NBA team listening to this podcast and learning more about Don Shampoo and you want to get more about injury data, proprietary injury data. No one does it better than Jeff Stott. So thank you, Jeff, for for joining us. Appreciate it. kind worries. Appreciate y'all having me on. And hit me up, Jeff, if you ever need. Need help. We'll consult on an add Don Shampoo to the database. Wow. You got to add a column in there for choice, right? Like, <laughs> what was it? Choice, yes. <laughs> just drag and, and, and pull down on Excel. Just it, copy and paste. Everyone's is a choice except for the one solitary no, which is, you know, Don Shampoo. I mean, this is, this is the first time that anyone outside of this, you know, the three of us, Amin, me, and you, um, abstract that have acknowledged the existence of Don Shampoo. This is the first time, so thank you, Jeff, for acknowledging some sort of record. I'm ready to put this put put this to the page. Let's go. It'd be great, man, for the kids. Well, I mean, I don't know how to take this. The whole fact that um, Don didn't have any ankles. How did he play basketball? He had ankles. He just didn't have ligaments. He got rid of the ligaments, those pesky ligaments. Yeah, a lot of things that people don't know is that bones actually can't break. The only reason. It's actually a good metaphor for life. Bones are hard. Ligaments are soft. So the ligament softness will rub off on the bones and cause them to break. But if you take out the ligaments, then the bones won't break because they learn, okay, I'm strong. I'm, I'm ready. And so when you take a generation, you coddle them. You give them social media. You tell them they're the best. You, you take away defense. They think they're great, but they're soft. This is fascinating. I don't know. I'm struggling to follow the logic there. Abstract Shine, I want to ask you, you mentioned the sissification of the NBA. Uh-huh. And you're not referring to the Greek myth of Sisyphus, right? You're talking about people becoming sissies? Well, it will tell me the myth. So Sisyphus famously rolled a, a giant stone up a hill. And by the time he got to the top, the stone would roll back down and he'd have to start over. And that does kind of sound like Don Shampoo's journey through the NBA, continually rolling giant stones uphill. But but they never fell on. It also has a double meaning. Yeah, I think it could be both. Like the new generation, I think that that that's a great metaphor. People like Don Shampoo, the old school greats, Scoots McGinley, Marvin Jr. Sr., right? Those people, <laughs> they made a great NBA, you know? And they pushed up the stone. They made this great product, this great sport. And then these new players have just let it roll all over us. Not just them, but us as viewers. So thank you for that. What was Scoots McGinley's coach's name again? Scoots McGinley's? What was his coach's name? Bob Off. Bob Off. (laughs) Because he never took a day off. So I don't know why they named his last name. Wouldn't he be Bob On then? I thought his name was Bob On. That was another. No, because this is what you'd say. His parents knew. You'd say, what's up, Bob Off? And he'd go, never off. And we'd just laugh. <laughs> it's almost like never was his middle name. It actually was. His middle name was, his middle name was, it's never. Yeah. Bob's never. It's S-N-E-V-E-R. It's never. <laughs> was, was Frank's last name Shampoo? Or like, did, did he disavow, or, or did Don disavow? I was, yeah, Don made him change it. So he used to be Frankie Five Fingers Shampoo, but then he became Frankie Five Fingers Smith. Don just wanted him to have a plain name because he said, you're a plain guy. Hold on. So wait, Don made him change his name. Don didn't change his own name. Don made his dad change his name. It was once he got more mature. Don, it was like, I think he was like a few months old and he realized for him to achieve greatness, he had to make his dad change his name because he wasn't great. And so the shampoo, it can only be associated with greatness. And that's why I gave Drew up for adoption. While I have you here, Abstract Shine, Big Baby Davis said that Kyrie Irving got hurt because he smeared or stepped on Lucky the Leprechaun. And according to the video 
Zapruder film analysis, it actually wasn't the same ankle or same foot that he dragged. Doesn't matter. Do you think Big Baby Davis um, is correct in his estimation that that lucky le- the leprechaun? Definitely. So here's the thing: isn't that soft to be to be caring about a, a logo? It's not at all. Here's the thing: I love what Kevin Garnett said because. Yeah, Kevin Garnett understood. You can make fun of people for looking like cancer patients. You can make fun of people for their mom dying or or like, you know, like all this, the great stuff he did. You know, Don Shampoo, right? You could kill people. Like, yeah, maul a lion on him, all this type of stuff. But you do not mess with a logo. That is sacred. That is beyond. And Kyrie got what he deserved. That it's was, paint on wood. It's not. It's not. It's more. It's chemicals on a piece of wood that happens to be no. on a, at a certain. What it represents, it represents an organization that cares about you when you're good. That's what it represents. Abstract <laughs> shine. Did Don Shampoo ever step on a leprechaun? Not a logo. I mean, back then we had leprechauns, so yeah, he would step on. Like a lot of times, that was how he got all his gold. But he would never step on a logo. That's forbidden. That's heresy. Does Don Shampoo believe in currency? Does he just have a stack of gold? No, he used to get gold just so he could toss it in the ocean. It was his pregame ritual. After the mirrors were being smashed? Before. Okay. Because I was thinking when you talked about how he didn't really suffer injuries. I mean, five mirrors up close, every game, shattering. You'd think he'd go blind because of the the shrapnel, the glass, the glass shattering. From the, how many games did he play? How many games did he play in his career? Uh, I can't talk about that, but a lot. Ballpark figure. I can't even. I can't. Um, but that's a good point because the first time he shattered him, it did hurt his eyes, and so that's when he realized he didn't have the strongest eyes. So he started shattering the mirrors with his eyes. Have you ever seen like an old cartoon? How when they see a girl they like, their eyes jut out. Yeah, and they go awuga, awuga. Yeah, yeah. We used to be able to do that back then. So he would do that. He would stand close to the mirror and he would <laughs> jut him out, and it would shatter. Huh. How about that? Last question for me: The Clippers have gotten a lot of heat during these playoffs. They've gone gone down o two twice now. Yeah, Paul George has been the center of a lot of the kind of criticism, uh, with the Utah crowd chanting "Playoff P" at him. <laughs> He's come back with two strong games at home in L.A. I was wondering, what's the worst fan reaction Don Shampoo ever got on the road? Mm, great question, I mean. Well, there was one time back then we used to have a, you know what, I shouldn't say the city. I feel like that would be crossing a boundary. But they were mad at Don. They were mad at Don. Is Wichita Falls, right? I won't say no. Let's just put it that okay. way. Yep. What was that team name? Do you remember? Yeah, it was the Wingbats. Yeah. Wichita wing bats. That was good. Um, they were good. They were a great team. And um, we had a rivalry going, and I'll never forget one game. They tried to get in Don's head. They they killed everyone on the team besides Don. They tried to kill Don, but his skin was kind of impenetrable. And, um, and man, Don put on a show that game. It was just him versus them. And it didn't get in his head. So it's like chanting shouldn't be getting in your head if you're an athlete. They killed his entire team? Yeah, not me, obviously. No, I mean, just saying, like, the, the the coaches, the teammates. Yeah, coaches, training staff, all that. So he played one on five the whole game. Well, eight, nine. They had a they didn't have the strongest rotation, but they had a good eight, nine. When you said you were describing this, you said it was sort of impenetrable skin? Sort of, yeah. Isn't this kind of, like, pregnant or not pregnant? Like, it's either impenetrable penetrable or not like how can be sort of impenetrable well he had one weakness cotton cotton could get through his skin so that made jerseys of kind of hard wow he had to have special jerseys next time we're gonna have to talk about this and get the full story of his uh cotton allergy is that fair to to describe it as an allergy weakness i'd say wow he didn't believe in allergies 
But he didn't believe in weakness either. So, well, you, you got to get your story straight here, Abstract Shine, because I, I was I was under the impression that there was no such thing as weakness in his world. He didn't even actually know what that how to spell or sound that word. Fuck. But thank you for joining us to to recap to give some perspective on the uh, Sisyphean 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 NBA Sisyphication Sisyphication Sisyphication. Yeah. Okay. In multiple ways. I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, of course. Always good to tell you guys more. That's it. All right. Well, if you wanna if you wanna find more knowledge about Don Shampoo, where can we find uh, more Don Shampoo history uh, facts and such? Abstract Shine on Instagram. Abstract period Shine. Go on TikTok too. Abstract Shine and just saying, believe some Don Shampoo jerseys will be available soon. So they're gonna be beautiful jerseys. So keep a lookout on Instagram. Made of cotton. Yeah, because Don won't be wearing it. We couldn't we couldn't obtain the materials that Don used for his jersey. No Earthling can. Mm-hmm.